I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Manoj Keval Ramani and today I have with me my two colleagues Anushka Saxena and Amit Kumar and we're going to be talking about recent developments within China with regard to raids being conducted on western consultancy firms which are supposed to be there to carry out due diligence for investors for businesses uh, and suddenly over the last few weeks there have been a range of such investigations raids against some of these consultancy firms so we'll first try and understand what exactly is happening because there's a lot of chaos and a lot of noise and then we'll try and go a little bit deeper into why this is happening what are the legal what are the new rules what are the new changes in chinese law and then we'll talk about whether this makes any sense in terms of beijing's broader strategy of trying to achieve development so again i've got amit and anushka with me to discuss this and they've been following these stories quite dedicatedly uh, i would recommend you check out the ion china newsletter which they are spearheading which covers all of this on a weekly basis so amit anushka welcome to this conversation thank you manoj thank you so much all right so i want to throw this first to you i mean i've not really followed this story uh, with as much detail over the last few days i was just struck with cctv covering this capvision raid what exactly has happened and what exactly does capvision do and which are the other companies that have been caught up in this yeah thank you manoj so Capvision is a domestic consultancy firm based in Shanghai and what it essentially does it plays the role of an, an intermediary and what it does basically is that it connects a whole range of its clients mostly overseas clients to the domestic experts i mean uh, the, and the chinese put the numbers of the experts domestic experts in the range of around 30000 and what they do is they essentially aid their clients which are mostly foreign clients into the kind of operations and the information that they might need in terms of the transaction of business that they might be doing and or might be collaborating with domestic firms so capvision kind of facilitates this arrangement where a range of uh, domestic experts from china help capvision's clients with uh, the kind of operation or the help they would want expertise that they would want now what has happened is in the past few days cgtn has been covering this news that uh, the chinese authorities have raided the capvision office in shanghai and has even questioned some of its employees and kind of even imprisoned some of the employees of capvision and uh, mostly they were from the kind of the experts that they employed and uh, they were accused of charges that in the operation that uh, capvision facilitated they have what they have done is that they have uh, traded some trade secrets with relation to weaponology and supply chain and other trade uh, secrets and national security which china perceives would uh, hamper or jeopardize their national security and this is what has been going on and this is all was the first is all about this is really interesting that they have because it sounds like perfectly sensible legitimate business where you are trying to make sense of what is a somewhat opaque policy environment and you're trying to connect people uh, from what i understood that some of the criticism from the chinese authorities has also been that 
that these companies were connecting people to sort of movers and shakers inside the communist party also so in some way i think the sort of suggestion at least there is that there is some degree of lobbying with different groups that is being made but again none of this is really new these consultancy firms have been operating in china for many many years like they operate in many other countries where you're trying to make sense of what's happening in the policy ecosystem and you're trying to explain that to the business community and for the largest part for decades on end there has been support for this business because it allows foreign investors to come into the country so what's changed for beijing to suddenly go so hard at some of these con- some of these companies any sort of thoughts on that uh, yeah so uh to put a context to this debate and how see this as how the concept of development and governance has evolved under xi jinping now of late in the past few years the question of china's development and governance is not seen as an isolated concept by the chinese leadership especially uh, since xi jinping took over our listeners must be familiar that every time the issue of development and governance finds a mention in cpc communex it is always complemented with the need to balance development with security right and with this integration of the concepts are, are itself not new it has certainly become a, a more reinforced under xi's uh, leadership and there's the idea of comprehensive national security that was floated by xi jinping last year and a simplistic reading of the document tells us that the aspect of national security has permeated each and every aspect of governance and development strategy that the chinese leadership announces or uh, Uh, the idea that they float and policies are being now tweaked cater and accommodate uh, what china regards uh, as its legitimate security concerns and this has led to uh, i mean if you can call it securitization of everything and uh, therefore what we are seeing is just a reflection of this idea that has taken root within the chinese leadership um just to add to that while the kind of fuss about going after multiple consultancy firms who have been operating in china for a while now is a uh, relatively new and that has its own context in the um, larger sort of geopolitical rivalry that is playing out between us and china counter espionage and prevention of intellectual uh, property theft in china or state secrets in china by foreign entities is not a new concept in itself in fact the espionage law the revisions uh, under which we are going to discuss today uh, first came out in 2014 and along with it there are other supplementary laws on uh, cyber security infrastructure like the 2017 national intelligence law and the 2016 cyber security law all of which in one way or another Uh, have mandated in the past uh, five to seven years that all state state security institutions, all local governments are required to crack down on any form of espionage that essentially. hampers national security in any way and of course the definition of national security is a debate in itself which we can uh, get to when we talk about the law itself but the context of the raids that have happened recently is also that because the US and especially the US select committee on the communist party of china which is meant to see the cpc and its activities as a threat to the US specifically is doing is conducting a lot of debate 
on intelligence from the Uyghur autonomous region on what are the kind of human rights abuses going on there. There is a lot of debate about how uh, you firms in the US are becoming targets of Chinese foreign political intervention. And so US and its political arms are responding accordingly. And to that kind of hostile external environment, China is responding in its own way by conducting these domestic raids and especially among these consultancy firms that have for a long time had access to various Chinese kind of protected content. But now it has become an issue of geostrategic importance to kind of display this heavy handed crackdown on espionage as well. Yeah, I think that's an important point that you make that, you know, part of this is about the strategic competition that is playing out between the United States and China. For example, I was reading uh, the New York Times' report on CCTV's coverage of this particular case. And it said that, you know, that CCTV accused Western countries of stealing intelligence information across key industries such as defense, finance, energy and health as part of, and they quote this, strategy of containment and suppression. So, I find it fascinating that at one point of time, we just had a meeting between the Chinese foreign minister and the U.S. ambassador. And they talked about how, you know, the Chinese foreign minister talked about how one must not let incidents sort of spiral out and one must set a floor essentially to this relationship. At the same time, we are seeing this sort of pushback against uh, what China says is espionage, although like you already pointed out that there is no definition of national security that sort of what is the national security element that is, you know, that Capvision or others have sort of violated. There is again no clarity on, say, when it comes to the data security law, it talks about protecting important data, but there is no definition of what is important data. So I, I wanted to understand firstly the legal sort of framework because this uh, espionage law has been recently amended. Although the amendments are not in force right now, the amendments come into force on July 11th. So is this sort of regulators acting in advance? Is this sending a political message? Is this implementing law? Or is this inner party politics? I mean, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Anushka. To begin with, first, if you could explain to us what the espionage law actually says. Uh, right. So basically, the like I mentioned, the espionage law first came into force in 2014. And under the what the old draft said and what the new draft will say after the revisions are incorporated, there are three or four main items of interest to understand the law itself. Firstly, what does the law cover? Which is that uh, there, there are six uh, sub-articles that describe what the law covers. It's activities endangering the national security of the PRC carried out by espionage organizations. So this particular one says that if an organization is built with the purpose of espionage itself, uh, you know, they're liable to be punished under the law. Then there are those organizations that uh, then there are those entities, individuals, agents or organizations that participate in in partnership with espionage organizations. So this is something we see in international criminal law as well, well where um, there is individual responsibility and then there is responsibility of those who aid and abet. Then any other activity by any other entity or institution that may not formally be uh, a part of an espionage organization, but still conducts activities like stealing, spying, buying or illegally providing state secrets to foreign institutions and individuals uh, will be considered espionage and will be punishable. And then there are two more sub-articles to this, which is instructing the enemy to attack targets. So if anyone by mistake or intentionally lets an enemy low know that there is a target that they can attack in any way, cognitively or uh, conventionally, then that's um, punishable under the law. And then there is a broad sort of an offense, which is carrying out 
other espionage activities. Now that can be construed however the state and the courts want it to be. The second is who is responsible for implementation. So that's where we see some formal language in the revision. Uh, we see that state security organizations of the state um, uh, and the party any right from the CMC to those who might be responsible for managing security under the NPC have the priority of use or requisition of data from individuals, organizations, enterprises, NGOs and buildings whenever necessary to uh, kind of promptly investigate uh, what they may consider has been a breach of national security. And um, in the revisions, the local people's governments have now also been given extensive kind of mandate and responsibility to crack down on such espionage and inspect and anti-espionage security work as well. Like not only do they have to crack down on it, they also have to do assessments of how well they've done. So this is like a quota they have to fulfill. That's how important it has become to the state. And this expansion of authority is also kind of supplemented by a chapter on job security as well, which has been recently added, which kind of, you know, assures those who will be involved in this work that you will be protected, rescued if necessary, compensated for any damage, you will be resettled if there's a threat to your life. So those are, there are all those sorts of assurances given to them. And uh, finally, uh, there's an interesting revision, which is how do you let people know about it? So it's not just about doing this uh, secretly now. There is extensive kind of information given about how on counter espionage and uh, counter espionage security prevention, you have to do uh, these news talks, broadcasting, cultural and internet information services. You service units have to take this up, which is probably why CCTV is doing so much coverage on this. And uh, we also see in April, uh, there was a case where a civil servant from Xinjiang uh, Uyghur Autonomous Region was put in jail for 11 and a half years. And uh, this news was made public just a day before the National uh, Security Education Day to kind of tell that, okay, this is how we educate you about it by giving you a use case of how exactly this law is uh, implemented. This is is in some ways, you know, it's such a broad scope of you know, that this law covers. I mean, to the extent that even talking to people can be treated as a criminal offense. I mean, from what I understand, there is a senior Chinese editor who uh, has been detained for having, apparently having contacts with uh, the Japanese, uh, having met with, you know, a Japanese diplomat and for his contacts with uh, Americans and Japanese. And he has been accused of spying. Um, Likewise, now for at least more than a couple of years, you've had, you know, in 2020, I think uh, Cheng Lei, an Australian national, was a reporter and anchor with CGTN, a former colleague of mine who's been detained again on endangering national security. Again, no details on what she's done. You know, a Bloomberg journalist, Hayes Fan, was, you know, in custody for quite some time. I, I think she's now been released on bail. So again, it's, it's really unclear and uh, this lack of clarity seems to be by design because you want to cast the net as wide as possible so that at any point of time, the state can use coercive measures. And from a security point of view and from a political security point of view, that might make some sense, although it's a horrible way to do things um, because it has a chilling effect. Uh, And I think this current round of uh, investigations that we are seeing are likely to have a chilling effect. And that's deeply problematic for even people who might want to be visiting China, scholars who might want to be visiting China, who might want to be trying to engage with officials at different levels to try and understand. Because if you don't 
define clarity what data, clearly what data is if you don't define clearly what national security is if you don't define clearly therefore what espionage is mm-hmm. then it becomes extremely difficult to engage and all that does is it creates potentially greater opacity uh, and this is coming at a time when we are also seeing more reporting about say other sources of information also being blocked you know some major chinese firms cnki which is a scholarly network of you know database of papers mm-hmm. access to that has been limited there have been other instances where say uh, companies which provide financial information corporate information those uh, you know access to their databases apparently has been restricted and there was also a report in the wall street journal that some of these restrictions are a product of uh, concern in beijing with regard to open source research being done by think tanks mm-hmm. which have perhaps fed into toughening of american policy so but at, at the, in the net i mean it's it sounds like quite a i mean it sounds like quite a counterproductive move when you are when you see the chinese foreign minister right now who's been in berlin talking about things like china will create a market oriented law based international business environment for you to invest right. in foreign business so i get the security paranoia of the communist party but what is the impact of all this on development right uh, so uh, as you rightly pointed out this this has a security uh, aspect but uh, i do think that this is going to have a, a very wide impact on uh, the kind of business environment uh, especially for the foreign entities and there are four uh, you know, three to four uh, broad uh, points that i could think of so going ahead i think foreign and domestic firms will equally be targeted so initially the observers were under the impression that uh, the series of crackdown which we saw uh, against bains and co and then previously against micron and again a japanese drug uh, company uh, employer was detained so initially uh, the impression was uh, the crackdowns were mostly to target uh, target these uh, foreign firms but with example of now uh, that we have of capvision that worked as an intermediary this tells us i mean it suggests to me that the target of these crackdowns especially uh, after this revision of uh, counter espionage law will not solely be limited to foreign firms and both domestic and uh, foreign firms will be uh, i mean uh, equally targeted and this also gives me a sense that china is possibly as you said uh, was paranoid of losing control over key information and uh, to foreign entities that might uh, jeopardize their security secondly all those entities that deal in consultancy and due diligence uh, now they will be uh, affected primarily because they deal in data access and transfer and uh, as we saw in the case of uh, bains and co and uh, capvision thirdly joint ventures involving domestic entities and uh, foreign entities will also be affected as uh, their operations requires constant sharing of data uh, for accounting and trade purposes and therefore we'll also see going ahead new mergers and acquisitions operations will become more and more difficult as they also rely on sharing of transparent data related to operations and functions and uh, for such an arrangement to reach right so cooperation between foreign and domestic firms will be under greater scrutiny and i think uh, this the effect will i mean maybe uh, it will be more pronounced in tech sector as there are several chinese domestic companies that uh, operate under this uh, joint venture arrangement with foreign firms and this it would i think would impact china's objectives in the tech sector which i mean i think goes contrary to what uh, they intend to achieve and uh, yeah and even trading firms right they are they will be subject to great uh, increased scrutiny with respect to the kind of data that share they share with their trading partners especially when there is no clarity on uh, the kind of data that could be regarded as uh, espionage and uh, what the definition of national security itself means and what china perceives it 
Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Just to add to that, I think there is a great devil in the details if one uh, reads the detailed implementation rules that accompany the counter-espionage law. So the law itself has a lot of broad-ranging terminologies on, say, national security or um, authorities responsible. But these implementation rules go much deeper into what is defined as state secrets, what is defined as intelligence, what is defined as espionage, even though none of them define national security. And one of the points that the implementation rules makes is that the funding of the implementation of espionage, that is providing funds, venues or materials to organizations that may have been conducting espionage will also be liable to criminal prosecution. So this means that there is no requirement on the on the table that the funder must know that the group or its individuals are conducting espionage. So anybody can be accidentally liable as well, which means that this will not just affect the business and the foreign entities operating in China. This will also kind of divert them, divert any other foreign entities from making future investments in China because they'll be, uh, you know, they'll have a sword hanging over their head of anything, uh, anything they may be funding in the country could someday or the other come out with something that the state will define as espionage. And uh, this has also been impacting Chinese investment abroad, uh, it doesn't just have domestic repercussions because there is some research that has just come out uh, from Merricks and the Rhodium Group, which say that Chinese investment in Europe has fallen to the lowest point in a decade because of regulatory scrutiny, which means firms abroad and governments abroad are responding to this. They're saying that 10 out of 16 investment deals in tech and infrastructure in the EU were blocked by regulatory authorities in the EU because you know, they want to tell China that China just can't get away with something that is this ridiculous and have no repercussions to face in the international stage. This is a fascinating developments that have taken place. And I think uh, it just tells you a little bit about how, you know, when Xi Jinping repeatedly says something like development and security are dialectically linked, clearly these are two in the conception that they've had, these are two difficult goals to achieve simultaneously. Uh, and you will have to, you cannot have securitization to this extent while trying to pursue development, while that development in, implies expanded foreign presence, investment and exchanges with uh, external actors, particularly when it comes to these new technology domains, because data flows require clear rules, but they can't be constrained with such sort of arbitrariness. And if you're going to try and intimidate and coerce foreign entities engaged in legitimate business, it is not likely going to be positive, particularly if you if the process of doing that not only just sort of has a chilling effect, but also impacts how firms are able to, you know, it impacts the efforts to reduce the opacity in the system and to understand the system, then it's likely to lead to much more reduced investment, much more hesitation, which only feeds into the de-risking agenda that say the West, the US and Europe and other countries are currently trying to pursue. So it undermines the argument that Beijing itself is making that you don't need to be de-risking, which it, it seems to me foolhardy. And it seems to me that there is 
and different entities working at cross purposes which again i think it's important uh, and i'll end with this is important for our listeners to take away because often when we think of the chinese system we tend to think of it as unitary everything works in synchronization there is a decision taken at the top and everybody implements it and therefore you get these wonderful developmental outcomes this is an example of how there are different objectives and there are different entities that work at cross purposes which essentially muddle the entire discourse which muddle the entire policy ecosystem and more than this middle kingdom it seems like the policy system is working in terms of a muddle kingdom where you're not really getting clarity on what investors can do and cannot do are there any last thoughts that you would like to add uh, yeah i would have one so uh, you see in this i mean the chinese never stop to amaze us like they work they really do like to work on contradictions right so amidst all this us led efforts to decouple its economy from china i think chinese might be aiding the us efforts here because so far uh, the the greatest uh, the, the american business community have emerged as uh, you know the most uh, potent lobbyist for the chinese market and uh, this is something what what has been a hindrance sort of a hindrance in the us attempts to bring about a, to achieve a decoupling de- in uh, uh, the relations with uh, the chinese but uh, if china ha- is to persist with uh, these kind of actions and uh, it might uh, you know uh, align their uh, bring about an alignment uh, between the american state and the american business community and that might be something counter to what uh, the chinese interests are yeah and absolutely i yeah. agree sorry yeah, and, and just to add to 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 amit's points about contradictions and how this is this is kind of china throwing a hammer at its own foot the one development that our listeners can look out for in in the implementation of this espionage law which is only likely to expand once the revisions also come into play is is how china manages its need for talent and balances it with its goal for self reliance in some of the key industries like key tech industries like say semiconductors right the law is supplemented by provisions of the entry exit administration law and anybody who may have the potential to take secrets out will ultimately have to face an exit ban as and when the crackdown on espionage intensifies and that might ultimately stifle the growth of china's own talent and like amit said uh, supplement the agenda that the us and the west is already playing out on a front footing so that might be an interesting development to look out for that's all Absolutely I agree and I think these are interesting times to watch out for how this develops. Thank you so much Amit and Anushka for providing clarity on what's been going on. I hope this has helped our listeners at least get a sense of complex recent developments uh, and we'll try and keep tracking this space. Once again, I recommend everybody to please subscribe to Ion China which is where you can get a weekly update of all that's happening and a breakdown of the key stories with regard to China from an Indian interest perspective. Thank you so much folks. Thank you. Thank you much. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle. at takshashila inst or our website takshashila.org.in